1: The eyes of the world, the eyes of the
2: populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers.
0: That lingering
3: century leaves the main and we'll see what comes next. We need to
2: make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually gonna turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are gonna make a difference to people's lives.
4: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke.
2: Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. Rebellion is in the air in Westminster today. MPs heading to the Commons today to vote on three key measures aimed at stopping the spread of the Omicron variant. New rules on face masks and rapid testing are up for debate, as is the controversial move to introduce COVID passes for large venues. Labour says it will support the curbs. The idea of, of COVID passes, though, has rankled Johnson's own backbenches. For his part, Deputy Prime Minister Dominic Raab says the measures are reasonable. Either you can demonstrate that you've, had, you've been double jabbed, or that you've taken a lateral flow test. I don't think that is a particularly intrusive thing to do in order that we can all protect not just ourselves, but those around us. But it's reported that as many as 70 Conservative MPs could turn against the Prime Minister. That would amount to the largest rebellion he's faced whilst in office.
4: Meanwhile, the vote comes as the NHS faces crisis on many fronts. Leaders of the National Health Service say it's unlikely they'll be able to give everyone a booster by the end of the year. Half a million people booked that extra dose just yesterday. The Prime Minister called for more volunteers to step in. The Health Secretary, Sajid Javid, has warned that Omicron infections in Britain are now estimated at about 200,000 per day. That underscores why Johnson's wouldn't rule out further restrictions before Christmas to protect the health service.
2: Well, let's bring in our first guest today, Christine Jardine, Liberal Democrat MP for Edinburgh West and the party's Treasury spokesperson. Christine, thanks so much for uh, joining us on the show today. Will you be joining the Conservative rebels in the voting lobbies today?
3: I don't think it's a question of joining um, Conservative rebels in the voting lobby. We've been quite clear from the start about the need for you know, working from home for face coverings to be introduced and to you know to stop the spread of Omicron and and you know and save Christmas and the problem we have here is that the government has been too slow to act they've been unclear the public really should have to be forgiven for the fact that they must wonder what on earth is going on the government doesn't seem to have a clear message about how it's going to help, we've had this ridiculous you know the thing where Boris says, oh, you'll all have boosters by Christmas, then it turns out that what he actually meant was was that you'll all be told when you can have boosters. Um, So I I think what we need after today and from today is some clarity from the government about Mm. just exactly how they're going to do this and how they're going to support the businesses who are going to be affected.
4: Okay, um, Omicron's doubling in terms of cases every two to three days. Is it sensible for people to be mixing in crowded venues?
3: But I think that you know I can only speak personally. I'm avoiding them, and I think you know working from home and being vaccinated, having the booster, is the best protection that we can have. And I think that is what we have to be encouraging people to do. We have to be encouraging them to to, to think about. I mean, in in Scotland as well, the first minister has, has called for us to cancel Christmas parties and things. And I think that is sensible. It's heartbreaking because so many people. Cancelled the Christmases last year. Didn't get to see family. Sometimes didn't get to see family for for the last time. And here we are again, a year on, and we're facing the fear of a similar thing again with Omicron. As you say, doubling every couple of days, numbers that are, are frightening. And I think we just need to we just need to accept that we need to be vaccinated. We need to be boosted. We need to be working from home wherever possible and doing all the things that we know. Okay, Christine,
4: Um, how are the Liberal Democrats going to vote when it comes to um, passports, to to COVID passports for venues? Because that is particularly the thing that wrangles the Conservative MPs.
3: We've been very clear about vaccine passports from day one that we don't like the idea that they're divisive, that... um, You know, it means you can get some people into venues. It doesn't encourage people to um, be vaccinated. And the thing is, it doesn't actually save you from infection because, you know, you can still be infected even um, if you've you've had your injections. It's unlikely. But what we need is um, more testing. And if test and trace worked properly, if test and trace was, was efficient and we got it up and running, then that would be that would be much more effective than vaccine certificates which the industry tell us are difficult and so, impractical. Believe so, me, if I thought so you'll for a minute against those that today. they would work. Yeah. If I thought for a minute that they would work and that they were, they were the answer to this um and to protect everybody, I would you know, I'd be first in line to vote for them, but I don't. I don't see how it can work. Okay.
2: So you'll be, voting, you'll be voting against those. I see that Nicola Sturgeon will be speaking uh, later on today about uh, uh, further advice on 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 mixing uh, in Scotland. Do you think that's Do you think that's the right approach? Would you like the the government in England to be taking a stronger approach as well?
3: I think clarity is the very first thing it um Strength, yes, is important, but the the very the most important thing in this is clarity. People need to know exactly what the advice from the government is and what the government is going to take responsibility for. And when it comes to support, uh, sick pay, uh, support for businesses, um, you know, and support for people working from home, all of that has to be made absolutely clear to the public. At the moment, what we're getting is a kind of, oh, work from home and, Maybe Mm. cancel your Christmas party. No, we need some clarity set out. We need to know exactly what the advice
4: is. And we need to know that the government is following it. Christine, um, have masks uh, in Scotland worked? Because they have been there throughout, uh, that recommendation to wear masks compulsory in in many parts of of, uh, the economy in Scotland. And also COVID passes have been used in Scotland too. So have those measures
3: worked? The COVID parties have been um, very controversial and um, the industry does not feel that it's worked. And I have one or two um, big venues in my constituency and and I spoke to them about it and they have major reservations. Mm. They don't think it works. And if you think about it, a football match for example, um, and you have tens of thousands of people going in they are not all going to be properly checked. They have to have tests. Um, And it's we haven't got the answer to this because the government hasn't knuckled down. Neither government has knuckled down over the past two years and got ahead of the curve. And they are still reacting and they're still giving us unclear advice. And really, I think people know our patience is wearing thin with this lack of clarity and speed, certainly on the government's part. They're always acting and the Scottish government as well acting after the event and reacting to it.
2: Are you confident that the NHS is ready to deliver a million jabs a day?
3: I have every confidence in the NHS and the people who work there that they will move heaven and earth to do whatever they can to protect the the public in this country. They've done it for two years and they have done an astonishing job. How they have done it, I really don't know, Um, because we know that there are more than 90,000 um, unf- unfilled places in the NHS. We know that they're working long hours. we well, know the hospitals at a breaking point. And this is the worst time of year for them every year anyway because of, because of flu. January is the worst month of the year and run up to it. Do I have confidence? I have confidence in the staff of the NHS and actually so many of them are foreign workers who, and I know this is a bit of a hobby horse of mine, but we have foreign nationals in the NHS who are here in visas and who are paying a lot of money. I would like to see the government thank them. I'd like to see the government thank all the frontline staff in the NHS and the social care sector. Thank mm. them properly for the remarkable job that they have done throughout this crisis. And for them, it has been two years practically non-stop. The the respites, the, the, the short respites we've had in, in the summer but. You know, for us, for the vast majority of us, the the big thing is that we've been able to go out and visit friends. Can you imagine what it must be like for people working in the NHS? The burden they've carried, the pressure they've been under to have that little bit of respite when the numbers have gone down and here we are again. But I have every confidence that somehow they will get us through this. And um, bookmakers
4: have the Liberal Democrats as the favourites to win Thursday's by-election in Shropshire. A lot of anticipation about whether this is going to be a sort of referendum on the government. Are you going to win that seat?
3: Um, let's see what the result says on Thursday night. I know that the reaction in North Shropshire has been um, a thing. I was there last week and I'll be back there on Thursday for the count. Um, I was, I, but as I was say I was there last week and the reaction we are getting on the doorsteps is, is astonishing. It's very similar to Cheshire and Amersham. People feel taken for granted. They feel the government isn't paying attention to what their problems are and is breaking promises left, right and centre. If you look at the way that um the image that this government has now, the the sort of, you know the general feeling that, you know, you take everything they say with a pinch of salt. You're not quite sure and we were talking about COVID there. You know, they're not really on top of it, they're always behind the curve and then um, they change uh, they say one thing one day and you know the next day it has changed slightly. The vaccine passports were for, against yeah. for you know, it's difficult to so follow. So all of that hopeful. is coming through and what voters say. Yes. But you okay. know, we'll wait and see what happens on, on Thursday. Certainly it's a seat we shouldn't um, be hopeful in because there's a massive conservative majority, but the reaction we are getting on the ground is very very strong.
2: Very strong reaction that's interesting. And just briefly, um, can we afford to, to reinstigate the furlough programme? Do you think more bit more support should be put in place for business?
3: Oh absolutely. Business, need, business is, is facing a similar situation. Hospitality businesses are the ones who, who are the first in line if you like because of the, the number of Christmas parties that have been cancelled out of the blue. Um, that you know, they're the first to have suffered. They've bought in supplies. They've ordered turkey for all the lunch the dinners and all the rest of it. And now the you know, major restaurants in London are talking about fifty percent um cancellations already. So we you know, business needs support, but not just yeah. hospitality, it has to go wider than that. They have to look at whether or not they need to, to reinstate the the VAT um, yes. Uh, VAT holiday. Business raise holidays. Yep. They need okay. to be looking at ways of supporting business through this because every business isn't, it's a business. It's not just a yeah. business, it's the families who depend on it.
1: Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication, it's fortitude, and it's the work because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at stiefel.com. That's S T I F E L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas and Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE.
0: You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. The Treasury
2: says the best way to protect jobs from the threats of the Omicron variant is for people to get their booster jabs instead of giving companies more financial support. Officials are standing firm against requests for more aid to businesses, including calls to restart the furlough programme. Data today show that UK companies created jobs at a record pace in November and that unemployment fell.
4: While Ryanair has flown straight into the controversy over illicit government parties, in a tweet, the airline ripped into Boris Johnson and his cabinet over the alleged flouting of social distancing rules. The post had an image listing mock government responses to COVID alert levels, ranging from small gathering with wine and cheese to full rave. While some called Ryanair's post inappropriate or insensitive, others applauded it for pointing out a government hypocrisy.
2: And the UK and European Union are set to extend their negotiations over the post-Brexit future of Northern Ireland into next year as both sides seek a compromise that would avert a trade war. It's another sign of a recent reduction in tensions between the sides following a period in October and November when it appeared that Britain might suspend the Brexit agreement.
4: Now, those are a few of our political stories. Let's get into one of our big conversations, though. UNESCO has published a sweeping report into global education during the pandemic, warning that the big cost of private education is fueling growing inequality and exclusion around the world. The report also seeks uh, talks about weak regulation and enforcement in many countries being of particular concern. The report is titled Who Chooses Who Loses? And it does include the UK where UNESCO points out that the growth in unregulated tutoring in the wake of the pandemic and also the rise of academies and free schools uh, could be an issue. Well, joining us now to discuss is Manos Antoninis, who is the director of UNESCO's Global Education Monitoring Report. Uh, Antoninis, Manos, great to have you on the programme. What has happened, in your view, in terms of private education, starting in the UK, first of all, during this sort of long pandemic period?
5: Hello, and thank you for inviting me to the programme. COVID-19 has uh, been, of course, the uh, the considerable increase in the involvement of non-state actors and private actors in particular, notably through uh, distance learning and the online platforms that have been uh, brought into the center of the education process. That's something that was happening in some countries, but, of course, uh, it expanded dramatically in the last uh, couple of years. And as you rightly said, we also said uh, we also saw uh, some increasing trends which were already in existence uh, in, uh, in the UK and in other parts of Western Europe, which were not that common before, of parents engaging private tutors to strengthen the education of their children. So both of these combine to see uh, the role of the private sector uh, increasing
2: and what's the problem with with private tutoring? are there issues of uh, of equality are there issues of of quality in in tutoring?
5: There is a range of concerns about private supplementary tutoring, which is actually a global phenomenon it, uh, it's rather it was rather unusual in uh, in european countries and in the uk because everyone relied on the public education system and uh, confirmed and was reassured that the quality was sufficient but uh, over time we see more and more competition for these precious university places and uh, no parent who can afford to offer better chances uh, would uh, shy away from offering these opportunities to children the, the problem begins when uh, this becomes a phenomenon that ends uh, up undermining the public education system. First, because it offers uh, different parts of the population different opportunities. Clearly, those who can afford um, then have more chances, and that's not a desirable result in any education system. There are other education systems where the uh, offer of private tutoring can be a sign of corruption, uh, teachers are not paid well enough. And then they seek uh, the opportunity of private tutoring to supplement their income, but they may actually withhold some of their teaching uh, from those students who can least afford paying for the services. So there are really different uh, challenges. There are parts of South Asia where students only turn up for the tutoring and do not even turn up for the public school, uh, public education Mm. classes. So there's a range of of concerns that end up undermining uh, overall education
4: quality. Okay, Here in the UK, of course, Boris Johnson, um, there was an interesting marrying of tutoring as as a way of delivering school Um, catch-up. £1.4 billion is what the government pledged to this and it was sort of specifically targeted something like 15 hours for the poorest students. So there has been this sort of marrying in the pandemic of, of provision for children. But I, I think it's quite interesting in the UK that you, you have got some statistics about the jump in private provision in the UK. But in that figure, which is quite startling, an increase over the past 16 years of 27% more percent more children in private primary education, 45% more children uh, in private secondary education, you've actually included... Um, academy providers, for example, which in the government terms in the UK would be considered state actors. Can you explain why you've included those as private providers in your kind of take of what the UK is doing?
5: I mean, uh, first of all, let's say that it is not uh, our inclusion of of schools in particular categories. This is exactly how uh, governments themselves agree uh, and I think the um, UK government uh, shares its uh, statistics with uh, the OECD and then through the OECD, the UNESCO Institute for Statistics. So we're, we're simply reporting back these figures that have been compiled and uh, which uh, there's agreement by the government. I know, of course, that the case of the academies is uh, a particular uh, case, um, a case that uh, is about the management of the schools and the report shows how varied the picture of uh, the involvement of non-state actors in different parts of the world. Um, we do actually also cover uh, the case of the UK um, mm-hmm. uh, because it is perhaps a, a quite a radical uh, uh, reform of how schools are managed and how uh, control passes from local government to, uh, to uh, non-profit Uh, providers. And that's uh, also interesting not only because it happens in the UK but because there are also some organizations that export this uh, approach to other parts of the world. And that's where it becomes quite interesting. Um, For instance uh, in South Africa, uh, in Liberia, in India, uh, in in, uh, countries of uh, of the Commonwealth in fact. So that's where uh, one trend in one country uh, becomes a particularly interesting phenomenon globally. If you allow me, just to correct one thing, the the tutoring we were referring earlier uh, Mm. is not uh, in the program you you described. is actually one of the most interesting ones. But it's a public uh, tutoring; it's a funding that is provided uh, to schools. There, I think the one criticism that uh, has been voiced is that a relatively small part was directed uh, to the children who are more disadvantaged. Most of it was, uh, initially at least, uh, a block uh, support to. All schools, and that's where perhaps there could have been a bit better and stronger targeting, uh, mm-hmm. but in that sense the u k has of course uh, made a big effort to uh, anticipate the consequences of school closures, which we know have affected the disadvantaged learners much more
2: mm, interesting. You, you say in your report that no one type of provider delivers education of better quality than than any other t- tell us t- Tell us just broadly what you found in your research.
5: In terms of quality, I think the report goes through a range of uh, what we call myths about uh, the current state of affairs with respect to the uh, involvement of non-state actors in education. And it is a very bitter subject. Uh, the report tried very carefully to uh, look at uh, arguments from, from both sides. And, and there are uh, myths about uh, the, that we ignore how much actually the public sector has contributed to the expansion of uh, non-state provision in different parts of the world. But there are also concerns from the other side. Uh, the report shows that overall, the overwhelming evidence is that private schools are uh, not better than, well, we call them public schools in the report, but of course we mean government or state schools. Um, because once you control for the fact that uh, the, the private schools attract the, the more uh, you know, wealthy um, uh, students and the students who are already doing better in their education, once you control for that, once you take that into account, actually, the, the differences almost disappear uh, in high-income countries and mostly disappear also in uh, uh, low, low-income countries. Mm. So that's an important, uh, important message.
4: Um, One final thought, if you would, then, as the UK certainly battles Omicron, we go into the new year uncertain about whether there will be further school lockdowns or or restrictions in terms of the education programme in the UK. uh, You know, so many people are concerned about this. What is the key thing that you think the government needs to keep its eye on when it thinks about, you know, education now going into 2022?
5: Well, we know, uh, and the evidence uh, is coming from all over the world that where schools have closed and where um, systems have relied more on distance learning, the um, learning outcomes have suffered and uh, the the distribution of that burden has been unequal. So, um, we also know, of course, that uh, schools do remain a source of of contagion of the disease, but the long term uh, effect from keeping schools closed is really very heavy and uh, we see that countries that kept, kept their schools open have maintained the levels of learning and have continued to improve them. So it is very important for schools to remain open because uh, otherwise we undermine the future of our generation and especially the generation that can wants to lose from uh, the problem.
2: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.